I'm Marshall Kozloff. And I'm Mike Duran. Welcome back to Counterbalance. I unfortunately could not make this episode, so Mike, you flew entirely solo. So what I'll do here is introduce the topic for both myself and then the audience you spoke with, Gadi Tab. He's based in Israel. He covers the Israeli political system. What were you looking to do when you had this conversation? First of all, uh, Gadi Taub is one of my favorite people in the world. I keep saying that, don't I? I said that on Ed Hussein, too. I, I, I'm actually not one of those people that has, you know, 20 favorite people in the world. But uh, uh, no, Gadi is just a wonderful guy. He He's very interesting to me because he came also from the political left. Uh, he's a professor at uh, Hebrew University, which is almost entirely left wing. He writes for Haaretz which is the, the New York Times of, the, of, of Israel. He's a screenwriter. He, you know, in social life, I think he's very liberal. Uh, but he, in, in politics, he's gotten increasingly right wing. Um, in fact, there's hardly a day goes by. It's, it's very funny. In, in Haaretz, when there isn't a headline that says, Taub, you're totally wrong about X. Because it drives, it drives people nuts that he has this platform in Haaretz. And he's also playing a pretty significant role in Israel uh, in, the, uh, in, 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 in the intellectual fights uh, because of this platform that, um, that he has. So I just wanted to check in with him and see how, how he's feeling about things. That's great. And then to follow up on that, what would you say is the main takeaway for the U.S.-centric audience that we have? Well, I, I tried to kind of make those points in the in the conversation The the thing that uh, I want people to realize is that the picture that we're getting of Israel uh, from our uh, mainstream media is a distorted picture uh, because the the in the last 10, 15 years, Israeli politics have there's been a sea change in Israeli politics. Um, and the old left-right boundaries that people are familiar with, still familiar with in, in, in America, don't exist anymore. Um, uh, but it's very hard to see that because of this incredibly fragmented um, party political system that they have. It's ridiculously fragmented, and it, and, and it, and it distorts people's picture because they can't see that there's now a kind of... Um, uh, uh, right of center consensus across many different parties, including some of those that are positioning themselves as the big opposition to, Net to Netanyahu on all of the questions of national security. They are now actually right of center as we traditionally think about it. But the real left wing parties like um, like labor and, and merits, which, you know, which now command a tiny, tiny um, minority of, of, of seats in the in the Knesset. Their worldview is still the one that you're finding on the pages of the Wall Street, of the um, New York Times and of the Washington Post um, and, and so forth. And that, so that's what that's what interests me. It's kind of hard to convey that in a, in a single conversation, but I think we got there to a certain extent. That's really helpful. So with all that, let's dive into the episode. Of course, huge thank you to the Hudson Institute for supporting this podcast. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, uh, Gadi Taub, welcome to Counterbalance. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. 
So listen, you guys are having a, a huge uh, mess over there in Israel. You've had four elections in about two weeks, right? No, two years, I think. Um, and uh, they're having a difficulty forming a government. So I thought what I might um, do here just to get us rolling is just explain uh, to the viewers and to myself and to you why it's so hard uh, to form a government. And then we'll we'll see what your reaction is. OK. OK. All right. So um, basically, I, the politics in Israel now more than left and right uh, is breaking down a along lines of uh, pro-Netanyahu and, and anti-Netanyahu. And uh, there's a pro-Netanyahu block that has uh, 59 seats. Uh, and it needs, in order to have a majority, it has to have 61. And now the problem that they're having is that when they look at all the potential partners that could join with the block to take them to 61, the, the potential partners are either just theoretical partners that don't really want to participate in the block or if they participate then they're going to knock they're going to alienate somebody who's in the block so for example partner number one would be the united arab list these are the islamists uh they have four seats that would take them to that would take the the, the pro netanyahu block to 63 seats but that would then alienate the religious zionist uh represented most prominently by smutrich yeah, he, he's in fact, he, he vetoed it completely. He said this is... He vetoed, this, he's, yeah. He's, well, I won't, I won't, I can't sit with them. So then that, that leads us to partner number two, which is the New Hope Party, Gidon Saar. And Gidon Saar, he said that he won't participate in a Netanyahu-led government. He's a, he's a renegade from the Likud, from Netanyahu's Likud, and he's against Netanyahu and he won't participate. And the yeah, third and, option is... And that's is his that, only principle. His only principle is no Netanyahu. All right. Uh, then the next one is uh, uh, is Avigdor Lieberman. Um, he's got seven seats, but he's anti. Uh, uh, he's a secular and Russian. He doesn't like the religious parties. He doesn't like Netanyahu either. But I think he could get over that, perhaps. But he can't sit with won't sit with the religious parties. And so I, I think the, I and they think won't sit the, with him. I think the anti-Netanyahu sentiment is, is stronger than the religious parties because everyone thought he would join the coalition in the first round in April 19. And he surprised everyone because he's considered to be right wing. And notice the whole thing is there is a huge right wing majority, but Netanyahu is unable to form a government although he is clearly the leader, the leader of the right. And, and maybe one way to, to understand this is Israel is very small and our system doesn't kick people out. Uh, Ariel Sharon used to say, the only thing you have to do is cling to the wheel. It will turn and one day you will <laughs> rise with it. And unlike the American system, where if you lose the, 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 uh, as, as a nominee for the presidency, you, you're kicked out and we don't hear from you again. In our system, everyone stays forever. So if you're a Machiavellian like Netanyahu, which Netanyahu is very good at calculating at every specific spot, that he doesn't need to reward those who are loyal to him because they're loyal to him. He needs to reward those who he needs to make loyal to him. So at every point, those closest to him become, in the end, his greatest enemies. And the trouble is that they stay around. And this has been... He's been in politics for decades now, and all this, I don't know, I don't want to 
name it by names, but he's he's been collecting enemies, and 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 some of these Gidon Saritz, he's a right wing person, and he and we need now a strong national government because I don't know if you heard there's a, there's a new administration in America, and we are not exactly happy with it here in in uh, in Israel, and we're going to need strong leadership, and Gidon Saritz is willing to burn the house down just not to let Netanyahu. Uh, okay, now, now, why don't you let's go into some of the personalities a little bit, because I don't think you can understand any of this without it. And you've already started with SARS. So let's talk a little bit more about him. Uh, the you know, the only you say the only principle he has is 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 no Netanyahu. Mm -hmm. However, I thought it was interesting that when the when the president uh, at, polled all of the party leaders, but who they would not who they would nominate to be the first person to put together a, a government, Saar nominated no one. He, 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 I mean, if he was really wanted to take down Netanyahu, he could have nominated Lapid, uh, you know, the, the 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 leader of the largest opposition party, but he uh, uh, party in opposition to Netanyahu. But he didn't. There, therefore, allowing Netanyahu to have the first go around at forming a at forming a government. So he's kind of already if, if his principal is taking down Netanyahu, he's kind of already uh, um, shown himself to be a bit ineffective. No, uh, I, I'm not sure, because it, it, all it takes, he, he is the only one standing between Netanyahu and a government because uh, Naftali Bennett and the, the religious Zionists have already said that if Netanyahu can form a government, they will join him. So Gidon Saar is the only thing separating Netanyahu from a government. The other option being, as you mentioned, the Arab parties, which we can get into later. But what Saar did is he's trying to um, preserve the facade that he is not an enabler of an, a, a, a government dominated by the left. So he would not he would not name Yair Lapid because he doesn't want labor and merits. The, the, the socialist and progressives, by and large, um, riding into the government on his tail. So he's he's sort of maybe letting it happen, but um, but but trying to minimize his responsibility for it. Uh, okay, so now he has the six seats. What's to keep Netanyahu from just poaching some of those? Uh, some of his supporters, who were all, all formerly good people anyway. There's no ideological difference between them, right? Yeah, so it, he's doing it. He, I'm, I'm as we speak, I have no doubt. I, I have no, uh, I'm not privy to any information that's not in the press, but it's absolutely certain that this is what he's doing now. Um, he's, and, he's, tried and, to, and the, he's tried to, he's tried to entice seats away from the oh, yeah. Saar. Be because, yeah. you know, Saar with his with his anti-Netanyahu stance, what did he do? He was the contender for leadership in Likud and therefore contender for future prime minister. Um, and now he formed a party and he, he actually, he went on some very low grade popular TV show and he signed a paper live on air saying he will not sit with Netanyahu. So you think, <laughs> what is this guy doing? If he, if he ever wants to become the, the leader the prime minister, he is a right winger. He would need the right wing votes. But now he just he 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 alienated the almost the whole of the right. And he's now only um, 
his only fuel is now the, the, those few strategic voters who thought it's worth voting for a right winger because it would take away from, which it did, it would take away a bite from the Netanyahu block, exactly the bite that he needs to become prime minister. So now Gidon Saar, nobody's going to vote for him in the next round. He, he maneuvered himself into an impossible corner. I don't, only left-wing people are now supporting him. So who, who is the left that's going to vote for a right when it's not even a strategic um, um, vote? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I mean, uh, you mentioned that, uh, that Netanyahu is very Machiavellian. Um, Netanyahu seems to thrive in these environments. I mean, he has a survival instinct. Um, and, and, in a, and combined with an ability to, um, to force errors on uh, on his yeah. um, to force his rivals into to making errors. That's really just remarkable. And he has more patience. He's he's cool headed. He makes precise calculations. He is completely flexible tactically. But don't get me wrong, because Netanyahu is, I think, very, very ideological. So he's Machiavellian in his tactics, but his his strategy, he doesn't lose sight of the important things now. The important things, you and I have talked about this a lot. I read your Twitter feed and, 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 and I see you read mine. So we've been talking a lot about the one existential threat to Israel now, which is Iran. And Netanyahu is only interested in that. He's willing to juggle everything else because he thinks this is the one thing Israel should be adamant about. Because if, if, if the... If you, if you look at the broader map, if Jordan falls to, if Jordan collapses the way Syria did and the Iranian proxies thrive and the Muslim Brotherhood and, uh, and also, as, as some Israeli believe, uh, uh, Turkey. So we will be surrounded by ra radical Islam. And for Netanyahu, this is our problem. So Gidon Saar, for him, it might have been a voodoo doll. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't mind... <laughs> He would say anything. He would flatter him with anything. And he can do these things when he's those people who say he's dishonest uh, mean that he is he's very flexible in his in his Machiavellian politics, but not because he's cynical, but because he's highly ideological and has very, um, uh, I think, realistic priorities. Now, help me understand one person on the map here that uh, I have to I have to I have to admit that I, I have no interest in him whatsoever. But we have to, I, I have to when I look at the numbers, he's a he's a significant person. And that's uh, Yair Lapid. Uh, I I keep waiting for Yair Lapid to disappear as a lot of, you know, um, Israeli uh, politicians do. But he doesn't. And he has um, he has a large number of, of, of seats, 17 seats. To me, he just looks like a he's a very handsome man, uh, television personality. But I can't understand what people vote for when they vote for Yair Lapid. So if you're somebody in Israel and Tel Aviv, you go and you vote for Yair Lapid. What do you think you're doing? Uh, his uh, his his uh, uh, campaign slogan was sanity. Vote for sanity. I'm normal. It's normality. And, and Yair Lapid is as flexible as Netanyahu, but without a strategic goal. The only strategic goal being the prime minister's seat. I, I always imagine, I, I don't know if it's, it, if, it, if it's polite to say this, but I imagine him shaving one morning, looking in the mirror and then calling his wife and saying, come here, Lee, 
do I look like a prime minister? And this is how it all started. <laughs> it's a celebrity prime minister and he needs the, he wants this uh -huh. on his CV. And last, the last round of election, and I'm saying to people, because people say he's a liar because he says one thing and then says the opposite. And I say, he's not a liar. He's completely postmodern. He believes everything he says at the moment he says it and he can say the exact opposite one moment after that. The last round of election, when they, when, when the, we had the same deadlock more or less, and they wanted to break it by an alliance with the uh, anti-Zionist Arab parties. Before the, the election, on the eve of the election, he said to a journalist, stop with this Netanyahu lies. We've said a thousand times, we will never sit with him. We will never lean on their votes. And one day after the election, or two days after the election, he said, why are you ruling out the Arab? Are you racist? What is this thing? So it is the exact opposite. And he didn't, he didn't bat an eye. He's a television personality, as you said. And, and he, it, it, whatever's on the teleprompter, um, he, he can read it with the same sincerity. But he, is, uh, he does appeal to the secular vote, no? Is yeah, it, to, the, and, and, to the yuppie Tel Aviv and, liberal yeah, kind of vote. And, and he knows how, how to manipulate that because he is a creature of strategic advisors, you know, these, all these wise uh, um, policy wonks and, and, uh, and PR people. And they just devise this uh, all Israeli handsome guy who will, um, and, and his whole shtick is Netanyahu is corrupt. So the idea is Netanyahu is dirty, Yair Lapid is clean, and, and he will bring us back to normality. Okay, now uh, let's just let's just hit a couple more of these personalities quickly. Um, so the, the guy that everyone is talking about on the right is Naftali Bennett. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about him. Uh, a lot of people are talking about him as the kingmaker um, in, in, in all of this. I mean, he they would need him to put together an anti Netanyahu block. They would need Bennett. Bennett is saying he won't do that. But but who knows what what he would really do in the end? I I can't see how with his uh, with his religious Zionist following uh, he would he would ever uh, sit together with uh, with a, a a bunch of left wing parties in order to bring down Netanyahu. Am I wrong about that? Uh, no, I don't think you're wrong. Um, he. If you look at his Twitter feed, he's now his profile on Twitter now says a, a, a contender or an, a nominee for the uh, for the for prime minister. Uh, he had in the, in the in the polls he had twenty something uh, seats uh, a few months ago. Remember, our parliament is one hundred and twenty seats, so twenty is more than what Yair Lapid got, and he's down to seven. And, and Naftali Bennett is well known for being very successful on the on the polls and not on the actual votes. How do you, uh, how do you explain that? Um, th there, are, there, there are a lot of floating, um, what we call floating votes. And uh, apparently what the surveys pick up is not what people will actually vote when it comes down to it, but what they at, at some moment vote against. So a lot of people answer differently on the surveys and and a lot of things start with a big promise and and people in israel remember our politics is is, is often literally a matter of life and death here so people get very serious when they go when they actually go to vote so and naftali bennett has also wavered on every important issue he 
and uh, and his partner Ayelet Shaked have done so many so much political maneuvering, um, and this is because as as uh, one of our best commentators Amit Segal uh, from Channel Twelve um, remarked here. Naftali Bennett is trying to do two things that are contradictory. He comes from the religious Zionist sector. So he, he headed uh, a religious Zionist party and he tried to make that a mainstream party without losing his sector. And you can't do both in Israeli politics. And, and this is why he ends up with, I, he, he might be now well, wiped out. Well, you, you, can, you, you can do both in the sense that Netanyahu has. I mean, Netanyahu represents um, uh, the right wing bloc that moves from secular to religious Zionist. Uh, I, he, he doesn't wear he doesn't wear a knitted skull cap, but he but he does have uh, what, what you're saying is that. Is that Bennett wants to be the replacement for Netanyahu, but with the with the with the knitted skull cap. You can't you can't do it from a sectoral party. You have to do it from a centrist party. Exactly. But he's trying to position himself to be the successor to Netanyahu. Is is that right? Yeah, but he's but 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 he keeps wavering and 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 um, appealing to uh, a sector. When you when you appeal to a sector, you promise to represent sectorial interests. When you go to uh -huh. a mainstream party, you are already a coalition. You are already a compromise. Uh, so the Likud and, and the Likud is also becoming um, or it, it has been for a while, but ever more clearly becoming the working class party. Um, and, and it's it's striking because when when Gidon, Gidon Saar is a yuppie character, he hangs out with the journalists and all like the, the, the upper class entertainment people, Tel Aviv clubs and restaurants and all the rest. His, his wife is a, his wife is a TV personality. Yeah. Um, and, and a very good anchor woman. And, and, and Bennett represents the high tech sector. He's not so much. Everybody laughs at how small his skull cap is. It's almost disappearing. So he's from the <laughs> high tech sector. <laughs> and as Avi Barelli, one of the wisest commentators in Israel who writes for Israel Ayom, he's a professor of Israeli history and the foremost historian of the labor movement. And he said, look at what's going on. What has happened is that on the right, the elites, those who can join or are part of the elites, are at least flirting with the bloc of the left. And the left here controls the power centers of the elites, the academia, journalism, arts, uh, the judiciary, and so forth. And the Likud is staying a, 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 a popular movement. And as, as someone like myself who moved from the left to the right and have always been political and have been going to demonstration all my, demonstrations all my life, I told my friends that when you go to a Likud demonstration, you come back home with other people's sweat because people hug you, mm -hmm. because it's a completely different atmosphere. It's not, you know, these righteous stuck up people in uh, Robin Square still demanding, um, uh, uh, still, still pretending that the Palestinians are aiming for peace. So Naftali Bennett is, is in a sense part of the elite. He, and now he, it's like a, a, he's demanding to be the prime minister having won seven seats out of 120 compared to Netanyahu's 30. So, but he holds, he holds the key. So he thinks he can leverage it. And, and I, I'm not 
very good at at, at uh, analyzing the micro. Uh, I was going to say microaggressions. It's not the right term. Micro, the micro, the micro calculations play. of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I can tell you from the bird's eye view what I see. And this does not make sense. You cannot become prime minister on seven seats. So now well, if you look at two- if you go back and if you go back and look over the last uh, after the, the last five, seven years at how many different political parties Naftali Bennett has started. It's it's really <laughs> remarkable. It's like, <laughs> and he, and it's he keeps like, saying it's like it's like some of these it's bands a startup. from the 1970s that. Yeah, you're right. And he's from a, the startup nation, you know, the high tech sector. And he said yeah. he said on on Twitter, I'll run the country like a high tech company. And Ran Baratz, also an, a, a smart commentator on the right, Dr. Ran Baratz said, a, a, a state is not a high-tech company. A high-tech company takes high risks and high gambles to make huge exits, but they usually all go bankrupt, like 90% of them. You can't gamble on the state. And Naftali Bennett, but, but let me say just yeah. the, these two competing interpretations, which I've heard from people who have talked to him. So I don't know. He's saying different things apparently to different people. So one interpretation says Naftali Bennett thinks Remember, he's from the elite unit that Netanyahu came from, so he's supposedly cool-headed. And one thing, one version is he said he's now waiting for Netanyahu to crack, and or for the Likud to crack and <laughs> kick out Netanyahu, because without Netanyahu, Saar would come. If he thinks that the Netanyahu loyalists are going to just kick out Netanyahu for someone with seven seats, he's dreaming. And the other idea is a rotation government, which I'm told Netanyahu agreed to do it, which means mm. he will be prime minister. And after two years, he will rotate and change with Naftali Bennett. But Bennett is demanding to be first. Now, Netanyahu, <laughs> Netanyahu knows that usually you, you don't get to be second in rotation. <laughs> you, you can only get it if you're first. You get rotation, well, then election. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Netanyahu's concept of rotation is I, I take the prime ministership and you sit and rotate. And then uh... exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but he thinks yeah. that if he, but he, the argument is if Netanyahu concedes and lets Bennett be first, then Bennett can bring Gidon Saar because Gidon Saar committed not to sit under Netanyahu, but under Bennett, it would uh-huh. be fine. So you, so in, so he says to Netanyahu, if you just do that, you will have a right wing government that's stable and steady and with a stable right wing majority. Okay, listen. Uh... Um, let, let, well, let me test one theory about Bennett with you, and then we'll move on to some kind of bigger issues here. Sure. Um, I here's how I feel looking at Israel from a distance. I do feel that um, Naftali Bennett's views, and I forget about all of his, you know, political machinations, but his 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 views on the issues and everything, pretty much represents where the center gravity in Israeli politics is today. And uh, first of all, do you agree with that? And then I have a follow on. on that. Uh, he's even he, he even leans to the right, because in terms of the great controversy, the controversy over the future of the Judea and Samaria, he's for annexation of all area C, which is the great majority of the of, of the territory, not not populated by Palestinians. But uh, so 
I know he leans to the right, but what I'm trying to say that my, my point is that I wanted to get to is that to me, there is an, you, you look at the Israeli um, party landscape and, 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 and Israeli politics is incredibly fragmented uh, because of the nature of the system with a low threshold and, and, and so forth. But in terms of people's views, it's obvious when you look at the numbers here uh, that, it, it, you know, uh, consistently, election after election, Israel is a center-right country. Yeah. And uh, the, reason, the reason I stress that is because, you know, I think a lot of Americans get their news about Israel from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and, and, and they are deeply inter- uh, influenced by uh, Haaretz, a paper you've probably heard of, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and by people whose views really are in line with, uh, you know, merits and labor, who who are relatively insignificant players in Israeli politics these days, but yeah, they absolutely. remain, but they remain, uh, they remain extremely influential intellectually, particularly in, in the diaspora. I think you, you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I do because in, because the diaspora is still pretending that the two state solution is an option. And those are the only parties that, that still somehow cling to that. And since the public has realized that there are no, Palestinian partners that do not want peace, no one is voting for them. So together now, together, Labor and Meretz have 14 seats. About 10%. Well, so that's the whole, that's that's a, exactly the point that I'm trying to make is that is that if, if, if you read the New York Times, uh, you get a very, very skewed understanding. So a guy like, to, to a New York Times reader, a guy like Bennett, looks like he's an extreme right wing person, but he's a lot closer to the center in Israeli politics. The center in Israeli politics has moved. Um, Okay, so one thing about Bennett before we leave him, because Bennett, about three months ago, something like that, maybe more, or maybe it was half a year, he, he, he published a book called How to Defeat the Corona. So this was going to be his agenda, how to defeat COVID-19. And he published a book about it. And then Netanyahu got everyone vaccinated. So this was going to be the big agenda was going to be forget all the all the all the controversies between right and left. We are going to concentrate on defeating COVID-19. And this was just taken from under his feet. So then he ran on a platform of back to economic normality. Um, But he, he didn't even say what his views are. They. The, the, it's a party that mostly mostly just folded all its right wing flags. Huh. You know, uh, um, Netanyahu it really is a remarkable figure. I, 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 I really do think he's the most um, talented politician on, on the world scene today. I mean, he really uh, no offense to Israel, but I, he really deserves a a bigger platform for his talent, I think, uh, in, in a way. I mean, the, this 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 political mess that you guys have. It, How about the American presidency, scheming. Mike? If you take him as an American president, it's going to solve our coalition problems, too. Consider it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> uh, but he, he he has a remarkable ability to just kind of uh, uh, keep on top of this game all the time and, with, and just with his little fingers, spin these guys all around all the time. I, and th- these are intelligent, clever people who are scheming all the time to bring him down and they just can't do it. W- what do you think is his uh, superpower? 
Uh, I don't know. You interviewed him. So so you got a sense of the guy. He First of all, he is if you ask him in a in a in a quiet settings when he's, he's very folk in campaigns, he's very focused on one liner messages and you can't move him from them. But if you had a conversation like the conversation you had with him, if you catch him to a quiet conversation and ask him, what's the most important thing a leader needs? So he would quote his father, who was a professor of history, who said to him, if you want to be a leader, you know, what is the single thing that's most important that you need is education. And Netanyahu reads profusely. Um, I, 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 uh, I gave him a volume of a, of a, of a book, a, a scholarly book that I once edited, and he read it. It was this scholar, it was about the Enlightenment, and he read it and he had things to say about it, and you would never catch him without a book. Um, so he is, he, he has a sophisticated, uh, nuanced, detailed picture of the world, and he can assess the larger forces. So he he doesn't lose focus, and it's very hard, you know, when you're in the middle of a, a constant storm to actually see above the hurricane and uh, at the and look and get a picture of the universe. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is he is absolutely dedicated look what 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 is happening now he's on trial and still when he's and people have said you can't you can't be you can't lead a government while you're on trial because you half your mind is focused on your legal um uh, defense and still with that we managed to get vaccinated before the whole world if you look at the graphs of uh, of of a uh, COVID, new cases of COVID-19 and, and, and deaths, it, the whole world has this wobbly graph and Israel just plummeting like a, 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 a fallen airplane. Um, and so he, and how did he do it? There was Channel 12, curiously, they're really against him, but they brought, not as, as hostile as the Aretz, but, but very hostile. Um, they they um, um, interviewed the CEO of Pfizer, and, and asked him, How, why did Netanyahu get this deal from you? All the world wants this vaccine. And he said, look, this guy is obsessive. He called me 30 <laughs> times. He called me, he said, at anything, 3 a.m. Anything, anything to get the, tel the telephone to stop ringing. <laughs> and, and, and he said he called me at 3 a.m. to ask me if it's dangerous to pregnant women. And I told him, he said, Prime Minister, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. I can't speak now. And Netanyahu just wouldn't let go. And he said, in the end, he convinced me that this that Israel would give me the most accurate data and that I could trust him that this that this that he would follow through on his promises. And so we agreed for some Americans probably would have never agreed to what we agreed. It was to give the data about how the vaccine works. It's it's a, 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 a mild breach of, of personal um, privacy. Um, but Netanyahu was focused like laser on getting us out of this. And he just he wouldn't let go. And he and he's like that. And this is why people around him are often so highly offended, because he doesn't. Uh, the, 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 the goal, it, people are dispensable means for the goal and the goal but and this sounds very cruel but it sounds stalinist but no but the goal is israeli democracy the goal is and and this someone told me someone who was very close to him and also now hates him vehemently told him netanyahu when he shaves and he looks in the mirror in the morning 
he sees Moses. Now, I'm sure that's an exaggeration, but, I, but it also conveys the gist of it. For Netanyahu, there is, there, he has historical perspective. There, there's 3,500 3, years of history, and he, he is now carrying this, um, the, 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 the Jewish, the safety of the Jewish people, and he has to pass this to the next generation, and all the rest is not important. So when you think of that, you, you can't help not admiring him, at least in part, because he sacrificed everything personally. This trial is going to, I don't know, is going to eat him up alive. But he, but, but he's focused on, um, on now on the Iran issue. And he, if he can stay three more months and take care of it, he trusts only himself. Now, you, uh, you mentioned here the trial. Um, I don't want to go too deeply into that, partly because it bores me, uh, the, the, the actual details of all the different indictments. Um, but, um, uh, but, you know, I, I, I noticed, I know you, obviously, you're a, you are a Netanyahu supporter. But it, a lot of people in Israeli politics are saying the exact opposite of what you said, um, which is that, is that, you know, he only cares about his, his own personal um, uh, future. And he's putting in order to save himself from the trial, he's putting, you know, he's holding Israeli politics hostage. And for the good of the country, he should really step down. I mean, there's there's a, just a ton of articles in the Israeli press all the time. They're saying, yeah. really, you know, you know, you stop, stop winning such a large percentage of the vote because you're 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 getting in the way of Israeli democracy. And so what what just just quickly for our listeners, give us your take on on that whole line of reasoning. You see that a lot in the American press, too, of course. It, he can easily get out from all his legal predicaments by stepping down. Someone from the, the general attorney's office, uh, stupidly, she, she retired. And then she said just before the first round of election, when she was asked, what the, what would the indictments be about? So she said something. It's not a good exact quote, but it's a paraphrase. She said there would be heavy if he stays prime minister and light if he steps down, which is almost tantamount <laughs> to admit we're going to take you down. If you just move <laughs> now, then we then we won't exact a big price of you because it's yeah, all, we just she need to take she you basically down. she basically admitted that the, that the that the indictments aren't are a political instrument rather than a, a serious legal instrument. So if he would just, if he would cared only about himself, he could get a plea deal and get out now, but he's not willing to do it. And partly he's, we have real, a, a huge issue with the, the, the Israeli, um, if you think crossfire hurricane is scary, I don't know if you do. Uh, I think it is. Um, the the uh, you're, you're talking about Russiagate, not the not the uh, yeah, Stone yeah. song. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, then then the Israeli uh, uh, our FBI or our uh, our Attorney General office uh, and Justice Department are way way stronger, and they. And Netanyahu has let them become so powerful that there is almost nothing to stop them in anything. And it, historians will look back and say, this is poetic justice because they have, and I'm, I'm quoting someone who has been the minister of justice from a, a, a very thick book uh, called the, the, the 
the purse and the sword um, by Daniel Friedman, Professor Daniel Friedman, who was our, our Minister of Justice, who has shown that they have taken down anyone who wanted to reform the justice system in order to make it less political and less powerful. So Netanyahu always thought, I'm not going to mess with them and they will never mess with me. Um, and he was wrong. And when they harassed others, he either protected them or just stood aside. And now they are targeting him. And a lot of people feel that contrary to what the line of the press is, that he should step down and then all the trouble will be over and we can take care of the country and all the rest of it. People feel that now, even if I hate Netanyahu, we, if we want our democracy back, we need to limit the power of the judiciary and the, the attorney general. And we have the, the, the legal counsel to the government, which is a whole arm of government. We can't, we can't get into it now, but, but, but people are standing behind Netanyahu and, and, and everyone says, people have told me that, that, uh, that Netanyahu never took care of this issue. And why do I think that now he would? Well, because now it's his own throat. And one right. thing you can trust every person to take care of is their own throat. Uh, so you're a supporter of Netanyahu, obviously, but mm -hmm. uh, I noticed lately on your Twitter feed that you've been very critical of his uh, flirtation uh, with the United Arab list. Yep. And so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that. It's also a very interesting subject, the whole the, the, the changing very. role of the Arab parties in the in Israeli politics. Yeah, the, the Arab parties. All of them are anti-Zionists, which is, by the way, illegal, that they don't recognize our right to self-determination. They don't recognize the, uh, the legitimacy all of right. the Jewish nation state. All right, when you say all right, you mean state. the Jews, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's the Jewish nation state. They don't recognize its legitimacy. So the Jewish people is not a people in their view. And, all, and, all, and, and, and this is illegal in Israel, but Israel is also very tolerant and also the, the court imposed them on us. So while according to our quasi-constitution, they, they shouldn't have been running uh, with, the, with these platforms, at least. They are in the parliament. Uh, but, and, and we always took it for granted that they are outside the left um, and they can support a government from, without, from outside without being part of the coalition. That is, they can form a block with a coalition not to let the other, uh, the other side uh, get a majority of the parliament. So, but but now everybody was was applauding this development that Ram, the Joint Arab List, um, which are sort of the local uh, branch of the Muslim Brotherhood, um, have adopted a civil agenda and said we will join that coalition which gives prosperity to the Arab sector. We don't care about the Palestinian peoplehood. We're not going to fight against the idea of Zionism. We're going to be pragmatic. And this, this is an excellent development among the voters. But it's not, it's not the right address for that because Ra'am, the, Arab, the, 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 the Muslim Brotherhood, the way it works is it creates a sectoral um, um, uh, uh, help me with a, this. Uh, what do you call it? Welfare state. Welfare state. I don't know. I was blanking on that. Um, and they create a sectoral Muslim welfare state where they support the population economically in exchange for the uh, access to indoctrinating it through 
through mosques and schools and so forth. So whereas and, so whereas some people would look at this and say, hey, this is a very interesting and positive development uh, because these, you know, in, in the in the past, the uh, a lot of the Arab parties, the national leaders have taken um, sort of Palestinian nationalist positions uh, to the disadvantage of local communities getting a piece of the pie. And so mm -hmm. now now there's a there's a tendency to to want to um, first of all, the Arab sector, I mean, the Arab societies, communities, they have um, uh, they have their their economic position has um, improved by leaps and bounds in the last few years. Under Netanyahu, um, and because because of under Netanyahu, Netanyahu government. And there's and they're starting to participate in, uh, for lack of a better word, Zionist politics. And, uh, you know, in order just to look after their um, look after their local interests. So a lot of people would look at that and say that's a very positive thing. And you're you're seeing the glass half full here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, half no, empty. I, I, I would I would tend to see it half full, actually, and, and be more inclined to go along with Netanyahu in integrating um, uh, the United Arab List. But you would look at this and say, no, this is a this is a Trojan horse. Yeah, because I, 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 I do think this is a positive development among their voters. But this party is a very sly thing. It is a racist party. It is anti-Semitic. Its members just now participated in a welcoming parade for terrorists who murdered innocent children, women and old people um, just because they are Jews. So the, the thing is, if if the right wing builds a coalition with them, what what will happen structurally is that they would now sit in the middle and be the kingmakers so that every or both um, blocks would be courting them. What this would mean is that we are giving the balance to the Muslim Brotherhood, who, whose long run goal is our extermination. And it could drive this wedge by notch by notch, deeper and deeper to divide us. So while I'm, this is why I, I, I thought the law should be applied, that if you if that's your platform, you can't run for the parliament. So as to enable the, the moderate forces in the Arab community, which are growing stronger all the time, to, to channel themselves to something that is not, the, the goal of which is not fanatical religious uh, Islam, because because the, 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 this is a the ultra nationalist, quasi fascist um, uh, agenda that is bent on exterminating the Jewish state. So it's so. An, it, so when when uh, when you took um, uh, when you took these positions against Netanyahu, did you get any heat from uh, other Netanyahu supporters? Yeah, uh, a little bit, but many understand this. Many understand this, and 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 here I don't think we can, I don't think we can think of this as a as as a sacrifice in the short run, which will pay in the long run. This would be a sacrifice in the short run that would, we would, that we would pay very steeply in the long run, and and I think that here Netanyahu's judgment is not sound. So, um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a representative of any party. I'm a, and as a pundit, I express my opinions, but I don't commit myself institutionally to anyone. So um, I feel free to, to uh, um, criticize uh, the Likud policy when I, when I think it's, it's going the wrong way. So Gandhi, let me put to you um, a theoretical uh, proposition. 
um, because you've got the you've got the United Arab list on the on the one hand, and and um, many of the uh, potential um, or, or reliable supporters of Netanyahu are going to be as uh, uncomfortable making a government with them as you are. Uh, and then you've got Smutrich and the and the religious Zionists on the far right, uh, and he and Smutrich has said no way will he sit with the um, with the United Arab List. What if what if the United Arab List and Smutrich neither one of them joined the government, and you had a minority government that doesn't have sixty one votes but could but could get but could pass um, in, in the government but could. Uh, um, but could pass, um, would have a majority of support in order to form the government. Uh, is that a possibility? So neither one of them, both of them, so Smutrich can say, okay, I didn't break my promise. I won't sit with that. I don't think it, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of, of, uh, of being pedantic about principles. I think it's a mechanical matter. If you let the, this radical Islamist anti-Zionist party, whatever lip service it pays now, if you let these supporters of terrorism become the kingmakers in the structure of the leadership of the Zionist project, then you are in deep trouble because they will be able to pay an exact and they will hold you hostage. So imagine we're going into like, according to, I guess, American leaks, we've been attacking Iranian vessels in, a, in the Red Sea, in, in uh, uh, the Persian Gulf, in uh, Iranian forces in Syria. Imagine that we have to fight radical Islam in, in, a, in a, an almost under the radar war while we are hostages to the Muslim Brotherhood. Of course, these are Sunnis and these are Shiites, but as we saw from Iran's support of Hamas, um, it's like giving the, the uh, you know, it's like saying Hezbollah in Europe have this trick where they say, well, there's there, there's the political branch and there's the military branch. And so yeah. you, you can just be friends with the political branch, but it's the same organization. So we're going to be, we're going to let an arm of Hamas decide the limits of Israeli policy. This is, this seems to me insane. So um, what do you say to the people on the left or even centrists who look at uh, Smutrich and the religious Zionists and they make the, exactly the same argument? They say these people are Kahanists. They are um, radical uh, 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 right wing parties that have no place in mainstream politics. And it's unacceptable to have a, a government that would be founded with their support. Um, I would say that at that on the margin of that party, there are elements that they are not communist because uh, if they were, they would be they would be ruled out of the uh, from running to to the parliament. So there is one guy, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who was a communist in his youth and has since um, renounced it. Um, and I don't like his politics uh, one bit. Um, you cannot have a, an explicit racist policy unless it's anti-Semitic, which we ignore. That's the the Arab parties. By the way, some some Jewish members too in the 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 the, the communist faction, Hadash. Uh, there is a, a Hebrew professor, a Hebrew university professor, who is a radical um, a, 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 a communist. Um, 
but on on the left you can on the right you can't have that. Um, if anyone harbors explicitly racist uh, notions, then then the Supreme Court will remove them. There would be an appeal to the Supreme Court, and they would be removed. Do I like them? Uh, no. Um, I understand uh, why uh, this this coalition was formed. This or or the coalition within Smutrich. Smutrich's party. By the way, the, the leadership didn't want this guy in. Um, but what has happened with our strange... Ben-Gvir, you mean? Ben-Gvir, yeah. Because yeah. we have a, a, a percentage threshold. Uh, and and Ben-Gvir, what he did last time is they left him out and he ran till the end. And he uh, wasted... Siphon, siphon votes away from the right-wing block. Yeah, so so he basically... He, he is, he, he's basically holding the right hostage. Now, note that the left is always leaning on the racists in the Arab parties. There, there, are two, there, there was Hamish Shutefet. They have been 15 at, the, at their largest. There have been 15 members of Knesset who are clearly, re, you read their platforms there for the right of return. They think uh, Israel could, should not be a Jewish state. They support terror, whatever. And the left, and that's all right for the left to lean on them. But Benkville, this is the most outrageous thing and if you read Haaretz where, where I write uh, you, you would think that the, the that uh, racism is flourishing on the right no it's flourishing on the left and on the right there is someone who used to be quite disgusting um, but still had to renounce all these positions in order to become part of the Smutrich party who which itself uh, made a face and, and, and finally admitted him Okay, made a face meaning they 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 held their nose. And, yeah, and, and yeah. Let him in. So yeah. In, his, in okay. Hebrew, you say as we, as you know, we say asapartzuf. So I tend to yeah. translate literally. So uh, I guess we better uh, say goodbye to each other soon. Let me let me just uh, let me just ask you a couple of questions about yourself uh, in case people are curious, because uh, you you mentioned that you write for Haaretz. Haaretz is the New York Times of Israel. Um, I, in, in, I mean, I think they, that's a perfect analogy. The same, uh, the same uh, people from the same social and cultural background read the Haaretz as read the New York Times. Um, and it has the same attitude toward, um, <laughs> toward uh, Trump, Netanyahu, that the New York Times has. Um, but you write for Haaretz, and uh, you're a professor at the Hebrew University, which is also a bastion of uh, liberalism. Uh, and you're a, a screenwriter and, and, so, and so on. So uh, how, how did you end up being such a right wing nut? <laughs> um, facts. And if, if I may quote Thomas Sowell, facts. Wait, wait why, are you, why are you a right wing nut? And how, how is it that they let you into these places? Well, they let me into these places before I was a right wing nut. And what happened to me is I just basically progressively gave up on the idea of peace with the Palestinians because the Palestinians have been consistently refusing it. And uh, the, the Palestinian national movement is bent on the destruction of Zionism, not the independence of Palestinians. So it was, it, 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 I, I supported Oslo and then buses exploded. And then I supported unilateralism. And then we got rockets in return. And then there was the so-called Arab Spring on Obama's watch. And I saw that that nationalism is not a stabilizing principle in the Arab, in the Arab uh, uh, region. Um, as Bernard Lewis once said, there are only four nation states in this region, 
Egypt, Israel, Turkey, and Iran. All the rest, he said, are tribes with flags. So we can't trust, we can't, we, we can't, th there's lava here that's melting all political structures and it can just flood our little, very tiny country. People think Israel because they see it on the news all the time. It looks like a cockroach on a map if you look at the Middle East. Um, that's the size. And, and, and so realism and just the, the fear of chaos in this region have made me more and more conservative and hawkish, but hawkish not in the sense that I am pro-war, I'm just pro-defense and a pessimist. Uh, okay. Uh, how many people are there like you uh, among your friends who migrated from left to right? Uh, it, it, well, are, are you asking about the those the, the covert ones, or also the, the the overt ones, or also those who are in the closet? Um, because there are oh, many you get in those, the closet. Because I, I used to I used to get those, not so much anymore, because I used to be a professor where people call you up and privately on the telephone tell you they agree with you, but won't, won't be seen with you in public. Yeah, exactly. So they call, <laughs> keep up the good work. Yeah, yeah keep fighting yeah. them. But they, they just avoid you. And it happened to me with, a, with, 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 with you know, very prominent intellectuals here. So it's really embarrassing that, that, they, that you have these conversations with them and then they would not have anything to do with you in public. Um, but a lot of people have come out of the closet and... And for, you know, I'm 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 making a I'm making fun of the people who won't, but it but I have a secure tenure job, and some people are just worried for their livelihood. So, so I can understand this because the because um, in many branches, like if if you work in screenwriting as I do, um, there are just I don't know there are less than a handful of of uh, right wing screenwriters and and there are definitely many people who will never hire you for that and i don't know if i would be, have been accepted to my university job had i not been back then um a, a centrist i was never you know 25 years ago i wrote a book against political correctness um in 97 that's before i came to study in an american university and realized how suffocating PC was when I was in, a, in, a, in an American history program from all our class, there are only two students who are willing to say anything good about America, me and the Japanese guy doing diplomatic history. That's all. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I, I think we've probably gone over time now. So uh, thanks a lot for giving us all this time. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you, Mike. Uh, it was a pleasure. I, I, I wish you luck in all of your uh, um, in, in all of your wars, all of your Many intellectual thanks. wars. Many thanks. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, on behalf of Marshall, too, I'll say uh, goodbye to you and thanks a lot. Thanks. Well, that about does it for today. We uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, please make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. If you want to learn more, you can come see us at Hudson.org. Please leave us a, a rating, a five-star rating, if you feel so inclined. If you don't feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating. And uh, we'll see you next week.